The Athletic. Jordan, you're a great professional. Well, tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Carol. Come on, Jordan. Love it. It's the back end of January, and Liverpool are still in search of that first win in 2021. You wouldn't believe it, would you? Defeat United in the FA Cup. Question mark still hanging over the club's decision not to buy in the transfer window. It's the red agenda with myself. Steve Hothersall, James Pearce, Simon Hughes and Kiva O'Neill and it's on The Athletic of course and throughout January you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price enjoy great analysis, in-depth features from the very best football writers around as well as ad-free versions of all the podcasts for less than £1 a week. Head to theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod sign up and enjoy! So that's The Athletic throughout 2021. And once again, that's theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. Well, I suppose the FA Cup is never uh, Liverpool's number one priority, but there was a greater emphasis on the weekend's game at Old Trafford, given the Reds' recent form. Unfortunately, the winless run continues. Frustrating stuff. James, you were there? I was, yeah. Mixed emotions, really. I think, obviously, disappointment. More um, another setback, really, than, than going out the FA Cup, I think. The FA Cup started off as a distant third priority for Liverpool this season, and I don't think that changed. Just a shame, I thought that you know what what in general was a much improved performance went unrewarded, and you know there were positives to take from it. I thought I think they moved, moved the ball faster, you know, a lot more incisive. It was great to see Firmino and Salah clicking back into gear. I mean, the, the opening goal was an, an absolute beauty, but unfortunately, defensive vulnerability on the day cost Liverpool and um, you know I think we've talked many times obviously about how the the lack of centre-halves has, has affected Liverpool more in games in terms of the, the structure of the team and the knock-on effect of having to play your best midfielders in defence but I thought Sunday was the first time that the lack of centre-backs actually cost Liverpool a game because they couldn't defend to the level required because um, the goals were so avoidable and and ultimately that was the difference between winning and losing. I didn't want to dive straight into centre-halves. Let's do positives what? first, Si. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there were some from the display. I suppose Liverpool was something like recognisable again, weren't they? Yeah, well, it's very rare that I agree with everything that James said, but I, 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 I do on this occasion, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, there, were, there were sprouts of recovery in terms of Confidence, I'd say, in terms of the way they passed the ball and the way they, they did trouble United. You know, particularly the forward players, I thought, looked a bit sharper. Uh, James mentioned it before about the Firmino assist for Salah's first goal was the sort of trademark goal that you'd expect from Liverpool. Brilliant bit of play and some top quality football at times. Um, you know, the, the midfield looks a bit more recognisable as well. Ran out of steam a little bit the second half, which you always expect from a Liverpool team, to be honest. I think Thiago's still finding his way back to fitness. You know, obviously a top quality player. I, I personally think that he needs to play a little bit higher up the pitch like he, like he did in his first game for Liverpool against Everton, where he had the, the protection just behind. It started off with Fabinho that game, didn't it? And I thought he did very well. And he looks to me to be more effective higher up the pitch rather than in the, the deeper role that he played for, for Bayern Munich. So I'll be interested to see how that evolves over the, the coming weeks. But unfortunately, just undone by errors at the back. You know, to, Liverpool haven't really been found out 
by errors so far this season. It's more been structural issues, I, I would say. But I think this was one of the first games where people didn't do what they should have done, and that that ultimately undid a lot of the good work. I think sometimes you, you know when you're in a bad run, any football team. You know, it's 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 even more frustrating when you know that you've played pretty well and still come away with nothing in, in, in some ways. I know like Jürgen Klopp will focus on the positives and he did focus on the positives afterwards. It wasn't a much improved performance, but it's it's exactly the sort of way a team loses when they're on a bad run of form. You know, sprouts of recovery looking looking good in some areas could have been a bit more ruthless uh, when they got you know into decent positions, but ultimately came away you know out of the cup well well, as hard as you try to avoid talking about centre-backs all roads sort of lead to centre-backs so this Akiva injury to Jordan Henderson putting the squeeze on Liverpool's options step forward Reese Williams uh, given an opportunity and United pretty much overloaded in that area yeah but I think um, Reese Williams actually played alright other than he, he was sort of like me on FIFA just sliding in everywhere for tackles and not winning them but you know, he is a young lad and he, he did make quite a lot of recoveries in the air. He was good. Um, obviously, just not at the times Liverpool needed it sometimes. And he was obviously costly for, for Rashford's goal. But I thought, obviously, we kind of like everyone's looking at this 19-year-old kid when Fabinho actually did have a poor game. And we're kind of, you know, I think that's the more worrying thing that someone we've depended on in recent weeks and we've just become accustomed to depending on a defensive midfielder actually is quite problematic for us there, even though Fabinho has been really good. Um, I think it was the first goal. He was letting Greenwood stay on side and then the ball obviously goes over Milner's head because he's, you know, a few inches taller and he, he would have made that header but it's Fabinho who initially keeps Greenwood on side I think and then obviously he does like to give away a free kick on the edge of the box it seems doesn't it I think there's a famous one in there somewhere and obviously you know you, you can't take away from Bruno Fernandes that was you know, a brilliant goal Alisson probably should have done better but you know any, a goal like that deserves to win a game but it didn't feel like Liverpool deserved to lose this game which is like the biggest positive you can take out of it Um but obviously, I don't know why it's this game that makes us feel like, oh my God, we, we definitely need a centre-half now because it's been, you know, glaring Liverpool in the face ever since Van Dijk sort of hobbled off at Goodison Park. You know, that was compounded then by Gomez's injury and it just feels like Liverpool have got a week now, haven't they? And it just feels like if they don't act, then this season could just fall away from them and just after you know what an exceptional season that was you know finally winning the Premier League and you've got the chance to sort of go and do that again it wasn't long ago Liverpool had the chance to go like I think eight points clear or something or you know it was it was far away from definitely Man City because they had a lot of games didn't they and that just all feels like such a long time ago now and you'd, you'd put it down to obviously the attack not clicking into gear but um, you know there was signs there yesterday of a bit of revival which I think will give fans hope moving into a massive game against Spurs but that defence is just it still creeps you out doesn't it and even I don't think it matters that Jordan Henderson wasn't there because I wouldn't want him playing in defence anyway I just think you know midfield is playing in defence like that's not right Mm. I, I think it's harsh to be overly critical of any of them, isn't it, James? Whether it be Fabinho, Reese Williams, it, it, it's not their natural positions. I mean, particularly Reese, you know, after the mistake for United's second goal, he pretty much stuck to his task, didn't he? Yeah, I wouldn't criticise Reese Williams at all. He's been put in a very, very difficult situation. Rewind to the start of the season, 
and, and Reese Williams probably in his wildest dreams thought, you know, maybe if I play, you know, if I really impress the manager, you know, hopefully I might be even be able to get a debut maybe off the bench in a League Cup tie against, you know, a League One or a League Two team. You know, as it is the halfway point of the season, he's made a dozen appearances for Liverpool. You know, this is a 19-year-old kid who was playing non-league football for Kidderminster Harriers a year ago. So he, he has done everything he possibly could to grasp the opportunities that have come his way. Uh, and it was grim seeing some of the criticism aimed in his direction on on social media and just really unfair. I think it's it's not fair and it's not realistic to think that Reese Williams could perform to a ridiculously high level in a game like that when Liverpool are playing such a high line. And the same with Fabinho. You know, we've kind of, you know, just accepted that, oh, you know, he's, he's fine now. He, he knows how to play as a centre-back. He's been absolutely brilliant in terms of the consistency he's shown. But there was a reminder there on Sunday as well. He's not a centre-back. You know, that was a that was a centre midfielder's challenge on Cavani. And I know, you know, people have argued the award of that free kick. It was soft. I thought Cavani was just quite cute in terms of the way that he won that free kick. Contact was minimal. But it was just, I, I just don't think Van Dijk or Gomez even make that challenge because there's no need to there. It's too risky. And ultimately, you know, the, the lack of centre-backs cost Liverpool dear and... Um, you know, and, and you know, we've talked a lot about the fact that you know why they haven't done business this month so far because availability isn't great. Money, of course, is another issue. Klopp spoke about that last week when he said, you know, I don't make those kind of decisions. I never have done. You know, some people kind of pounced on those comments as as a sign that there were some issues with the owners. I think it was more Klopp just reaffirming what has always been the case that every deal that gets done the money side of it has to be signed off by the owners. And, you know, we know that money is tight in the current climate, but I couldn't help but come away from that game yesterday thinking, well, forget about the long term, forget about someone that's suitable for the next three or four years. Liverpool needs someone for the next three or four months. And if that means a loan signing or if it means someone who's a free agent, then so be it. We're not looking for the next Virgil van Dijk. We're just looking for someone who's better than what Klopp has got available to him at the moment at centre-back. And with the greatest respect, that shouldn't be too difficult to find because, um, you know, the situation is so grim in that area of the squad with the injuries that Liverpool have suffered. And, you know, again, yesterday was another reminder about Joel Matip's ongoing issues. You know, the fact that they felt that he couldn't play three times in the space of a week. If that's the case, then I completely understand why you leave him out a Sunday to make sure he's fine for Tottenham. But again, how are Liverpool going to possibly manage that if they don't bring anyone in? What happens in February when, you know, there's a fortnight run of fixtures where Liverpool, I think, play Man City, Leicester, Leipzig and Everton. You know, so are we saying that, you know, Matip can only play two or three of those absolute maximum? You know, where does that then leave Klopp? So they've got a week to go till the window shuts. And I really do hope that they reassess their options. It's the Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hothersaw. We've got James Pearce, Simon Hughes and Kiva O'Neill. Thanks very much for listening to the pod and reacting to it as always. Now, th- there's been quite a lot of criticism for Liverpool's owners, FSG, for apparently not backing Jurgen Klopp in this transfer window with defensive reinforcements. Fans can't believe that they won't break away from the transfer strategy. Simon, you- you've looked into this. Yeah, well, there's an element of gamble and risk attached to every decision, I suppose, uh, that the clubs make um, or the club makes but particularly this one I know I've spoken about it before about how you know Liverpool okay the champions and the, the ultimate aim has to be to go and win the title again but as a bare minimum they, they, they have to get into the Champions League and Jürgen Klopp 
made reference to that after the draw with Manchester United in the league saying you know reiterating just how important that was you know I've mentioned this before but Liverpool do operate in a real financial world so you know it's all about profits and loss and revenues um, obviously the revenues are expected to be down by somewhere in the region of 100 million this season or in advance of 100 million which means obviously the you know buckles have, have had to be tightened and obviously the problem that the FSG have got is that if, if they don't qualify for the Champions League where does that leave them again? So just just clarify in terms of revenues, any profits that FSG have made from Liverpool, does that go straight back into the the club? Yeah, it always has done. Yeah, every every penny that, that the club makes goes back into the circulation of the the club's economic reality. There's been a perception, you know, on social media, the you know the the, the taking money out of the club. That that's just not the case. I mean, it, FSG's profits will be made as and when if they ever decide to sell the club obviously they bought Liverpool at a reasonable price given the situation that they were in this time sort of 10 well just more than 10 years ago and recent estimations price Liverpool at nearly two and a half billion pounds so they're, they're going to make a massive profit on Liverpool if they ever decide to sell people will have their own opinions on that but you know obviously it's gone up it can come down if Liverpool weren't to be in the Champions League that would affect Liverpool and this is this is the, the challenge that Liverpool have got like if Liverpool weren't to make it suddenly the players that they have might decide well I don't want to stick around that much you know as long or it becomes a lot harder to renew their contracts both from an emotional point of view and from a sporting point of view and from a financial point of view and equally the players who they thought they might be able to sign in the summer the players who they're targeting at the moment summer, summer targets might decide to go elsewhere so they have to qualify for the Champions League and I, I think there is a risk attached to this if Liverpool don't sign the players that they need to compete in all these games that, that James has just mentioned there he's right I mean it's going to take an incredible effort to get Liverpool through that period with you know the, the, the essentially at the moment you know compared to last season they had four centre-halves including Virgil van Dijk Dejan Lovren Joel Matip Joe Gomez I know they all had individual injury concerns at different points of the season apart from Virgil van Dijk you know they've, they've, they've only got just about Joel Matip available at the moment and nobody can guarantee when he is going to be able to play so to think that you're going to get through the season with no regular centre-halves I think it's a big ask you know a very big ask and they're relying on Jurgen Klopp to wave his magic wand and make sure that everything gets you know they they get to where they really need to be because if they don't get into the Champions League this season I know I mentioned it a few weeks ago and people started saying oh it's a ridiculous shout but you've got to look at the the, the points position that they're in and it is worth writing about because at the moment you know if Everton beat Leicester on Wednesday night and then if Tottenham beat Liverpool on Thursday you know they're, they're going to be out the Champions League places and it's something that they really need to be considering the club because it's proven between 2009 2017 one Champions League appearance once you're out very difficult to get back in I know that the club's sort of general shape is, is a lot better than it was back you know in, in that period but nevertheless all the best players want to play in the Champions League it's so much easier when, when you're in, in that competition so yeah it's a risk I think they're taking at the moment it's, it's a gamble that the, the gambling on Jurgen Klopp to, to deliver what he's done for the last two or three seasons to some extent what I think maybe some people have taken for granted a little bit that Liverpool will just always be in that competition it's not as straightforward as that because other teams around you are always scrambling to try and catch up to you I I still can't work out what's going to happen in the next week. I sort of feel like 
you know, we know the club are saying we're not going to buy anyone. There's a relentless pressure from the media and fans to say buy someone. And when Jurgen was asked about transfers, was it before after the Burnley game? And he, he tried to clarify it and he sort of said, it's not my area. Did you did you read into what how he was saying that or whether he was indeed delivering a, a message in the way he said it? Well, I just think it's a reminder of how Liverpool have operated for a long time. I mean, and James is right in what he just said before that the financial decisions aren't made by him by about how much they want to pay. I just thought it was quite telling on Friday that he said, you know, that in an ideal world, he would have wanted to sign a centre-half, which I thought that was actually quite a revelation. So quite clearly at the moment, I don't think there's a problem with the owners. I think he accepts that the world's in a pandemic and that Liverpool are affected by that because he's he's worked according to these rules since. But the fact that he also thinks that Liverpool need to sign a centre-half and not getting one, is a bit of a problem for Liverpool, isn't it? So I don't think it was a warning to the owners or I think it was just a reminder that Liverpool have, have operated this way for a long time. And fair enough, it has worked for, for the owners. And, you know, they've been very successful over the last couple of years with a you know a world-class manager in charge. But it does, I think, some, you know, it's an extraordinary time, isn't it? It's an extraordinary time in football, outside of football. It's extraordinary that Virgil van Dijk got that injury, that Liverpool have had some rotten luck with injuries this season as well. In my view, if you want my view, I, I think that they should be signing a, a, a centre-half who at this moment is is a, is, a, is a better option than some of the, the younger options that, the, that they have. And it was the first sign I, I thought yesterday at Man United at uh, uh, Old Trafford that Fabinho, I think he's done great at centre-half. I think he's done really, really, really well. But I mean, he's had God knows how many different partners. It's not his natural position. I thought it showed in the course of the game. Um, so if it was up to me I just think that sometimes in football you've got to speculate to accumulate you know the, the, to, to ensure that you get to the position that you want to be at or to give yourself a better chance of that happening because it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a big ask for Liverpool to win a trophy this season now I would say you know and it, the conversation around the Champions League it is legitimate it's not scaremongering it's not it's not just for the sake of conversation you know look where they are look look at the clubs around them how close it is you'd still back Liverpool because they've got that experience I'd say but there's an element of risk with this decision if they decide not to go and sign a centre-half unless by some miracle Virgil van Dijk returns a lot sooner than people are expecting well, well, even then, they'd have felt the consequences, wouldn't they? Yeah. It feels like they've left it so late, Kiva. I mean, how do you read it? <laughs> Are you looking at it and thinking, oh, something's going to be, there's going to be a surprise in store in the next week, or literally they're going to stick to their guns? Uh, or FSG's, you know, the board, are they simply just sat back saying, no, it wasn't a gamble. We, we knew what we were doing all along. That's just such a weird one, isn't it? Because at first it was like, you know, the sounds coming out of the club was that, you know, no moves would be made. And everyone kind of, you know, in the pandemic accepted that as me. I mean, as much as social media is in uproar after every Liverpool game. Um, but I don't know. It just, it feels, you feel hopeful that they'll move. Like, I mean, it feels like you just kind of, prodding them with each mistake and saying you know we are playing a defensive midfielder and a, and a teenager against Man United in the FA Cup and what is you know a big opportunity to sort of win away at Old Trafford for the first time in the FA Cup in like 100 years or whatever it was you know that's a big scalp to take in the current climate of Liverpool not performing you know they fail to do that because they don't have well, they don't have any centre-halves, do they really? Matip isn't dependable, which is frustrating. You'd hope that they'd be watching on from America yesterday, as they have, 
you know, for the past few games. Surely the whole sort of money thing and how they run the club, you know, they've done such a great job of it. Liverpool wouldn't be here at this point now if it weren't for the way they'd handle things. But at the same time, this is just a totally different um, set of circumstances Liverpool are now in. No no one thought, you know, this is what would happen. So maybe they need to just alter the way they react. And to save Liverpool's season, you think that they do need to make a move and fans would absolutely welcome it. They'd take anyone. Anyone? So, so I see the latest link is Socrates, the, the ex-Arsenal defender. Is it is it a case of just anyone, Kiva? I think so. I just think you want someone who's above the age of 25, who's at least got 100 appearances, or if not, you know, I'd take 50 at this point. It's getting that desperate. Just someone who's experienced and knows how to, you know, hold a high line and it'll fit in quite well you know that's going to be difficult for any defender to come into this Liverpool team but at the minute surely it would be better than the options Liverpool had you know as Simon's mentioned I mentioned earlier Fabinho seems to be sort of you know the mistakes are sort of being made now and that's not his fault and Reese Williams is going to be a good player one day but he's still got a good six years of development ahead of him before he should even be getting thought as a, a Liverpool star and centre-back it's just ridiculous really isn't it when you think about it but Obviously, we know the current climate's just an uncertain one. But, you know, fans will be checking the phones constantly all week and hoping, just hoping that Liverpool make a move. And if Liverpool are to lose to Spurs, then I just don't know how you don't do something after that or do it before. It just feels like a really weird sort of time for the club, doesn't it? That game, it was mad because um, in December when Liverpool played Spurs, that felt like one of the biggest games of the season, obviously, because they was high-flying at that point and... You know, Liverpool defeated them and, you know, stoppage time. And it felt like that was amazing. And Liverpool have only been beat Aston Villa since and have, you know, had a real slump, haven't they? And um, I think everything kind of points back to the defence, even though, you know, the, the attack hasn't clicked in. But it, it just feels like this game now is absolutely massive. Like, it's, you, you know, thinking ahead to it, especially with the run, like James mentioned, to come in the next few months. Like, how Liverpool get through that and... Simon got a bit of stick, didn't he, on social media when he mentioned the top four a couple of weeks ago, but he was ahead of all of us there because it is a genuine worry now. No, he was absolutely spot on. <laughs> very rare that somebody says James that. Very <laughs> rare. <laughs> no, he was. <laughs> I wish I was wrong. Was. <laughs> we'll save that for the archives. Um, James, is there a stick to beat FSG with regardless? that You know, they bring someone in this week and everyone says, well, Everything's collapsed over the last month. We, we haven't had a win in 2021. You should have done this a month ago. Yeah, I, I suppose in that regard, it's kind of like no win, isn't it? Because I think you're right. If they if they do do something now, you'll get people saying, "Well, you know, it's it's panic." I thought I thought you didn't do knee jerk reactions. You know, if you were going to do something, why was there not a signing waiting on on January the first, which was when you know there there should have been reinforcements. But that doesn't change the fact that the Clearly, anyone watching that game on Sunday, if you didn't know already, knew it, it was proof, if any more was needed, that Liverpool have to go and do something. And that biding their time and waiting for the summer just doesn't make any sense because of the potential ramifications of not getting in the Champions League. Now, I, I think to a degree, obviously, the financial side has played a massive part. We know that. But also, I think how well Liverpool did initially without Van Dijk lulled people into a false sense of security. I think Liverpool won five on the bounce. I think it was in all competitions after losing Van Dijk. And then, you know, if you go back to November when they lost Gomez, 
they also then went and won their Champions League group and went five points clear in the Premier League by absolutely thrashing Crystal Palace 7-0. So, and I just think that almost created this kind of like false idea that, oh, it's okay, you know, Fabinho can now play centre-half every week for the rest of the season, you know, Matip's coming back, you know, hopefully he'll stay fit. There's some talented young players who can fill in when needs be. Jordan Henderson could be an emergency centre-back at times. We'll, we'll get by because we can't get exactly who we want in January. And, and I think, you know, when, when things were going well, you could you could kind of understand that approach in terms of, well, yeah, you know, you, you want to you make sure you get the right person in. But I think results have tailed off to such, a, such an alarming degree. I mean, let's not forget it's now... What was it one win in seven in all competitions? And that one win was against Aston Villa's youth team. And even that was not particularly convincing. So Liverpool have hit, you know, a real bad patch. And and I think that just has to lead to things being reevaluated. And even for a club that, as we said before, prides itself on strategy, prides itself on long-term planning. I'm sorry, that has to go out the window now because it's all well and good saying you can't get who you want centre-back wise now. We'll, we'll wait until the summer. But if Liverpool don't qualify for the Champions League, are they really going to be able to to get exactly who they want centre-back-wise? Will that player still want to come to Liverpool if he can't play in the Champions League? Without the riches of the Champions League, will Liverpool even be able to afford that transfer fee? So as important as planning is for the longer term, you've also got to look after the here and now. And, and if they don't do that, then there's a massive, massive danger that, that this season does just fall away. It's the Red Agenda, your Liverpool FC podcast, uh, brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Steve Hothersall. Uh, we have James Pearce, the prophet, Simon Hughes, uh, and Kiva <laughs> O'Neill as well. Um, let's go to the prophet, prophet of doom. Uh, Liverpool face um, five of the current top eight in the next seven league games. I've got to say, that's a fairly telling period, isn't it, Si? Well, it, it's, it's going to be a defining period, you would say. I mean, if Liverpool carry on playing as they have done, getting the results that they have uh, since West Brom, they're going to be in big, big trouble because the only, the only, the only, there are seeds of obviously encouragement. The performance at Old Trafford was better, but I think that just shows you just how far Liverpool has slumped if the, you know, the positives are, you know, individual decent performances in a game that they still lost against one of the biggest rivals. But, you know, that there are clubs around them are still dropping points. Clubs around them still getting players injured, you know, period of turmoil at Chelsea. I, I, I can't see any team running away with the title this season. I can't. I think it's going to be pretty nip and tuck between now and the end of the season for the Champions League places as well. But Liverpool just certainly can't afford to come out of this period, you know, out, out of sight in terms of being behind the, the, the clubs that they're competing with. I always thought that if Liverpool were within a couple of points of the top by the end of January that, that, that you know that they'd still have a title chance and I, I still wouldn't rule that out as well that's why it's such an extraordinary period I think it'd be incredible if Liverpool were to win the title having played the vast majority of the season without Van Dijk and, and then without the two or three players who would be able to come in and, and do a decent job in his absence but a few people said to me well Liverpool are one, one man team obviously you know because what look what's happened since Van Dijk but I don't think it's as simple as that really I mean, I must say that I think Virgil van Dijk, for me, is one of the, well, if the most influential player that Liverpool have had since Steven Gerrard. I think he's been an incredible player for Liverpool and his absence has been sorely felt at the moment. You just you just hope that, 
as I said earlier, there's some miracle that they, they can get him back a lot sooner. But as you said, Steve, could be could be uh, too late by them. Look, Tottenham away is next up. So that comes into huge focus. Lose that. And I know Sai just made a reference there to, to the title, but Kiva, are you looking at title aspirations still being alive at this present moment? Or does it almost hang on that game? Does that tell us an, an awful lot more? Yeah, I think it does. It is such a crazy season, as we've seen. I mean, everyone's won the Premier League, haven't they, this season? Um, before they have, it was we had Everton, and we have Chelsea, Tottenham, United. They're currently sort of still in and around, calling themselves champions almost with the performances. And, you know, everyone's sort of enjoying this, this run. Now Liverpool are on, but I, I do feel if Liverpool don't, don't beat Spurs who you know they have got a sort of a good little vibe over Spurs I feel that's why this game feels massive because it feels like the season in terms of reclaiming the title kind of depends on it we know it doesn't because there's still such a long way to go we're just halfway through a lot of other teams I think are going to drop points it's not a season where there's got I don't think there's going to be a team I mean Man City could do it potentially but you know De Bruyne is out for a few weeks now isn't he and you know, as as great as they've been at United in recent weeks, you, you can't imagine any team's going to notch 17, 18 wins towards the end of the season. So I think, you know, Liverpool still are in with a glimpse of something and fans will be hopeful that, you know, they're still in with that chance of winning the Premier League title. It just feels more and more unlikely as the weeks go on. And, you know, that Burnley game was just really quite depressing, wasn't it? And brought Liverpool, I mean, even further down to earth than, than they already were after recent results against West Brom, Newcastle. And obviously that United game felt like a big opportunity to take something back in the race. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Just It's one game at a time as it was last season, but it just feels like in a totally different way now, doesn't it? Because Liverpool had the title wrapped up this time last year and now they're, you know, really scrapping for it but what a story it could be if Liverpool come from here and win this Premier League title it would go down in history as the greatest ever especially with what Sam just said about Virgil van Dijk there let alone missing Joe Gomez as well and Jota and Thiago for that time and you know different players have been in and out we're in the middle of a pandemic you know it's a crazy time (laughs) if Liverpool could go and reclaim that crown I think you know what a story and you know Liverpool are Love a, love a comeback story, don't we? So, who knows? I think fans will still keep the hope, as they should. You know, this team are incredible and, you know, they've got through this little rough patch now. There's signs there yesterday of a bit of a resuscitation in attack and I think, you know, they'll they'll take that into the Tottenham game and let's hope, you know, they can just kick on. It, it takes a game like that and a win, like, potentially that that could really turn Liverpool's season around, even for all the defensive woes. Yeah, who knows? Look, when they played each other at Anfield in December, James, it was it was almost billed as these the title contenders against each other. And Liverpool's late goal, of course, had had them top. How things have changed so dramatically in a month. Now, I know Jurgen isn't a miracle worker, but it it would be foolish, wouldn't it, to write a top manager off at this stage? Yeah, there's too far to go, isn't there? I think um, you, you had to take a step back after all the you know the torrent and negativity that followed that the end of the four-year-long unbeaten record at Anfield last week against Burnley and just remind yourself that it is only the halfway point of the season and, and the, the gap to the top is still only six points. And it, it's a it's a more than fair conversation to say that top four is 
very far from being guaranteed and Liverpool could find themselves in a in a really desperate scrap for that because you know they're fourth at the moment but I think you know Tottenham and Everton have both got games in hand which would take them above Liverpool so you know that is a fair issue but also it's also ridiculous to discount the idea that Liverpool could force their way back to the top because the talent is there you know despite they do feel hamstrung I think at the moment by the lack of defensive options yet Liverpool still have the firepower to beat anyone on their day it's a case of can they rediscover that spark and fluency and and, and the pace of their attack. And that was that was one of the positives to take away from Old Trafford. I probably actually felt probably more positive about that, you know, that coming away from Old Trafford than they did come away from Anfield after the draw with United a week earlier when, when Liverpool created next to nothing. And you wondered when you were going to see the next Liverpool goal scored. So it's a huge week this week. There's no getting away from that. Um, they lose to Tottenham and they will find themselves outside of the top four. And there will be a debate over are they going to be able to force their way back in. Be, go and win at Tottenham and things look completely different. And they could find themselves back within touching distance of the summit. So, But yeah, this is a really tough run of games coming up. Even, even West Ham away coming up on Sunday. I mean, they're... They're a resurgent force under under David Moyes as well. So um, standards are going to have to be very very high. And you know, I think the positive as well is that you know Joel Matip should be back in the team on on Thursday night, and he and he will make uh, you know a big difference. I thought he was very good on his return to action last week, and I'd go as far as to say if you'd stuck Joel Matip in that Liverpool team. Old Trafford on Sunday, they'd, they'd still be in the FA Cup. If we think the Liverpool players are, are feeling the heat, and you probably think they are, given their their recent results. What about the manager himself? Do you, do you think his manners changed at all, Si? Are you seeing a different Jurgen Klopp, a, a spikier, a more defensive one? Or are you seeing someone who naturally exudes the confidence that you'd expect from someone of that level? Well, I mean, I must confess, I, I haven't been dealing with him, you know, in terms of press conferences and stuff like that. But, um, you know, watching it from afar, I mean, I, I don't think he's really changed his messages this season in the sense that, you know, a, a lot was made before Christmas when he spoke a lot about fixer scheduling and the challenges around that and, and you know, being insistent that things need to change. But I actually think it's just people receive that information in a, in, in a different way now that Liverpool have been champions. I, I think it's, it seems to me that, you know, Jürgen Klopp was talking about that sort of thing for three or four years, really. It's just... Fewer people were listening at the time. It didn't seem as relevant. I think when you're champions, and particularly when your team's not been doing so well, it sounds a bit sour from Klopp. But I don't think if he thinks of it like that, I think it's just him saying what he's always believed. Really, um, I mean, I I, I I do think that I do wonder to what extent that you know the players listen to that, whether it puts doubts in their minds, whether they're capable of playing the games. I'm just speculating there, but I don't see a change in his demeanour. Really, I mean, I think he's still pretty pragmatic when it comes to most things. He sort of obviously we see the extreme side, the emotional side when he when Liverpool get an, you know a great result in the last minute, but he does have a an outstanding ability, I think, to sort of to cut through the emotion and and see things for what they are. And I think that was a bit of that coming in uh, late last week when he he chose to speak about the transfer situation. You know, again, in an ideal world, want to sign one a new player. You know, why would any manager under the sort of pressure that he's under, without the players that he has, not want to? But equally accepting that the club has a way of doing things and. 
he's been supportive of that in the past. So I think after this next run, this run of six games, if Liverpool were to come up the other side of that in bad in a bad way, you know, it'd be interesting to see see how he is then. But everybody's sort of pointing towards where's it where's it all gone wrong for Liverpool? I mean. It, Bottom line is, you know, the lack of availability of key players in a key area of the pitch is absolutely killing them. And goes back to what I was saying before. I think FSG and the ownership group need to pay attention to that because he's not a miracle worker, Jurgen Klopp. You know, he, he can only deal with the, the the players that he's he's got. And I'm sure if we were in a pandemic, the situation at centre half would have been dealt with. I'm, I'm absolutely certain of that. James, you did see him at Old Trafford. So, what do you make of of the manager and how he is personally dealing with it? I know. Rafa Honigstein has, has written a piece on The Athletic talking about perhaps how he'd handled a struggling team in the past. And I think the biggest element from it was that he's got conviction of his, his own methods. Yeah, and, and I think I think that's where there's certainly parallels with, with the way he is now compared to the way he was at Dortmund. He won't, he's not suddenly going to move away from that. He didn't, you know, Rafa Honigstein detailed in that piece, he didn't, he didn't suddenly go down a, a plan B route. It, it was all about making plan A better. And that that is certainly, you know, the, the messages he's coming out with publicly and, and privately to the to the players at the moment, because, um, you know, he, he believes in in his principles and this style. You know, of course, you know, the results speak volumes for it. You know, the, the amazing success Liverpool have had in, in the last few years. I think, you know, the worry... The worry when you look back to his final season at Dortmund is, that, of course, it took the the winter break in Germany for things to really turn around because then he suddenly had the time that, that he hadn't had previously to work with the players on the training field. Now, he's not going to have that luxury, of course, this season at Liverpool because of the, the way that the schedule is. It's pretty full on. But no, I think even his demeanour, I thought he looked really, really down after the Burnley game. I thought you could see he was really hurting because... By and large, even when Liverpool have had setbacks, Klopp has always tended to have, have focused on the positives and and still remained pretty buoyant, you know, at least on the outside. Yet, you know, he, he couldn't do that after Burnley. You know, I think you know he and he, and also he was very, you know, he, he, I lost count the number of times he said, you know, blame me, you know that that's you know that's my fault, you know, and, because he was trying to shield the players from that inevitable barrage of criticism that was going to come after such a a poor result. I, th- I thought he was a lot more positive after the, the game at Old Trafford. And I think part of that, I think, would be because it, it was only the FA Cup. I think, as we said before, it wasn't high up on the list of priorities. It wasn't a devastating setback for Liverpool to go out the FA Cup. And But I think more than anything, I think he was genuinely buoyed by what he saw in terms of the great affluency and, and the fact that you know, they, Liverpool did did look threatening. It was a game decided by fine margins. When you think of, you know, the Trent and Salah both had big chances at 2-2. And if Fabinho doesn't make that challenge on Cavani, then, you know, the, the discussion today would have been very different. So, um, you know, he, he will stick to his guns. There's no there's no doubt about that. And it's, it's not a situation where people are sniping or anything or people have lost any faith or anything like that. It's... You know, people have got absolute unwavering belief in in Klopp, and and rightly so. And you know, the the players are as desperate as anyone else there to to fight for him and to turn it around. As always, brilliant stuff from uh, Simon Kiva and James. Thank you very much indeed for listening to the Red Agenda. Fingers crossed that the Reds will get back on track in that game against Tottenham. We'll be talking about that and plenty more on the Red Agenda next week. The Athletic.